Welcome to The Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Today's message was broadcast also on Facebook Live, so you'll hear some live questions and great answers from Brian. Stay tuned for our next Facebook Live for a chance to be on the show yourself. In the meantime, let's listen in. talk about how to celebrate the new normal. Now, I'll be candid with you. There's a few phrases that I'm not a big fan of, and the new normal is one of them. There's not a lot of creativity in the marketplace, and the news media just regurgitates. If this outlet says it here, this outlet says it here, this outlet says it here, this outlet says it here. You know, unprecedented. You remember that word? That was the word of the pandemic, unprecedented. Well, the new normal, unfortunately, has a real negative connotation to it. And one of the reasons for that is it's been used by politicians or people of specific ideologies to communicate, hey, what was is gone and this is the new normal. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why there's resistance to that. The number one reason is that change imposed is change opposed, right? And so people say, oh, yeah, you're going to wear a mask for the next five years. Oh, yeah, you're going to do social distancing for the next X. Oh, yeah. You know, and just people are ready to get back to normal. And I'll talk about that here in a minute. There's actually a giant physiological and psychological push in human beings for us wanting to get back to what was known as a normal. So, but I also would say to you that there is a positive application of the new normal, and we're going to celebrate it. And we're going to celebrate it and talk about how to take advantage of this situation to your betterment, how to make your good life even better. And the way to do that is to embrace the dynamic of whatever the new normal is in your life. So there's three things I want to talk about, which is homeostasis and why it's such a killer. Momentum is really the key to celebrating the new normal. And then how to celebrate the new normal. So we're going to talk about homeostasis, momentum, and then the celebration of the new normal in the celebratory life. So homeostasis, I've done podcasts on this in the past. It's the tendency to resist change in order to maintain a stable, relatively constant internal environment. And that makes sense. We actually have physiology. Our physiology is designed to bring things constantly into balance. It's actually interesting with the virus. The virus itself, problem with it is that it creates a spike protein reaction in the body, and the body has to then fight that. It's the homeostasis system, our immune system, fighting that to get it back to balance, and that's where the challenge has been. But this is not just physiological, it's psychological. Change is difficult. And why? Because we're actually designed to resist change in our bodies and in our minds. We're designed to resist change. We feel unnerved. We all hate change and like to return to what we know. It's like uh, homing pigeons. You release homing pigeons and they fly, 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 and they manage to come on back home. Well, that's the case for us. And that's why it's hard. That's why you see this in relationships. And I remember one time a fellow come up to me in an event and Phoenix, Arizona, he'd been divorced five times. And he says to me, you know, what, what do you think? Because I, I, I think I, I just keep marrying the wrong woman. And I, I, okay, that sounds like a bizarre statement, but I didn't say that to him. I asked him a bunch of questions. And it, sure enough, he had had five marriages with five women who looked alike, who were alike, who thought alike, who communicated alike. And I just listened to him and he wasn't gracious. He kind of threw everyone under the bus and this and that and the other. And at the end of the time, I said to him, well, I got to tell you, pal, I think I'm talking to the problem. As long as you continue 
to do what you do and think the way you think and communicate the way you communicate, you know, you'll be doing this again. I mean, you keep marrying the same woman. Sounds like a good woman to me. Five versions of her. You might be the problem. And that was like a shock to his system. Like, it, literally, he never even occurred to him, which is kind of, you know, oh, you know, that's a psychologist's dream there. But ultimately, that homeostasis. Why do I bring that up? Because we can be addicted to the comfort, even if it's bad. Oh, by the way, what happens in homeostasis? People being in debt. People who are in debt repeatedly and get out of debt consistently get back into debt. So we tend to do these things over and over again. Change is bloody hard. That's why we have coaching programs. That's it. That's why we have training programs. That's why we have content like this. Change is hard. It's the most falsely communicated thing in marketing. You can change your diet. You can change your body. You can change your marriage. You can change your health. You can change your life. You can change your spiritual life. It's hard. It's hard. Change is hard because we're conditioned in our physical body and our physiology to actually go back to what we know. So we're designed to resist. The second thing is that old habits die hard. That's why we call them habits. Now, on this show, we've taught about habits and we've featured books about habits and habits are fantastic things. But old habits die hard and uh, we're creatures of habit. And I would actually say the two epidemics that I saw in COVID with regards to the lockdowns and everything else was comfort and control. I saw that people were addicted to comfort and people are addicted to control. And I think those are the hardest habits to kick of all. And the truth of the matter is we try to do everything in our life to make our life as comfortable as possible. That's not necessarily the definition of a good life. And the comfortable life will always become uncomfortable. You think about it, a person who sits around all day long in a comfortable chair. Well, if you do that every day, will you eventually become uncomfortable? Yeah, you become uncomfortable when you try to move. You become uncomfortable when your body starts reacting negatively. So comfort is not the greatest. And control, I must say this, as a 53-year-old guy knocking on the door of 54 and I've run life hard, I found that there's very little that's under my control. And all of us, by nature, kind of control freaks to some degree because it makes us feel safe. We're designed to resist. Old habits die hard. We get stuck on a plateau. You've developed and grown, and then you get stuck. I love the quote from Bruce Lee. He said, there are no limits. There are only plateaus, and you must not stay there. You must go beyond them. Again, I've mentioned on the podcast, I've asked many people. Many people have said their favorite movie is my favorite movie, The Shawshank Redemption. And I rarely use movie references anymore because it's so, you know, there's so little to connect everybody on. But there's certain movies that everybody's seen or most everybody's seen. And in The Shawshank Redemption, there's one of the most crushing stories about homeostasis of all time. And it's Brooks Hadlin. We don't know what his crime is. We don't know what he went to jail for. He was obviously a, a felon. But he's 52 years in prison. He's the prison librarian. He's this grandfatherly character. He's gray haired and he. He has a crow he takes care of and feeds and nurtures him. He has a very gentle and kind way about him. And he's really respected amongst the inmates. You know, the story goes, he gets paroled. He gets released. So here's a guy who's been in jail in a less than comfortable environment, but he made it comfortable. He was so uncomfortable with being free that eventually he takes his own life. Now, you people look at that. And I've heard people say, that's a, that's a silly plot. That, you know, a guy gets his freedom and kills himself. Let me tell you, uh, I've seen that more often than not. I'm not even talking about suicide. I'm just talking about people doing all kinds of things. Like I say, debt, 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 debt-free, bang. 
lonely, frustrated, upset, get in a great relationship, boom, go back to lonely, frustrated, and upset. Lose weight, get in shape, get healthy, get heavy, get sick, get out of shape. You know, that happens a lot. You know, change is hard. And that's why we need a lot of things. We need help. We need outside voices. We need accountability. We need encouragement. We need coaching. We need training. We need it all. And I, I need it all. I get it all now. And with all the help I have today, it's still hard. You know, I'm a very driven guy, but I work out at 6.30 every morning because Rico's there. We had a workout yesterday morning. I knew exactly every single thing to do. And Rico had been, he went on a little trip here to see his family back in New York. And I worked out by myself. And I go, I can do this. Why do I need Rico anymore? And sure enough, he comes back on Monday and I found I worked a little harder. There was a little less rest between reps and more specificity with the workout. I just need the help. Homeostasis is a challenge, okay? The next thing I want to talk about is momentum. And it doesn't matter how small, but the tiniest of momentum can ultimately change everything because it builds and it builds. Have you ever felt like everything in the world is just going against you? You just need one positive thing to happen to at least start building. Doesn't mean everything changed, but you just, you can build. And if you have enough positive things happen day after day after day, next thing you know, the wind is at your back. As my mother always says in the Irish blessing, may the wind always be at your back. That's all about momentum. So as we talk about momentum, here's the key, is that we have to accept that change is inevitable. And, you know, I know, there's not a person listening to this that doesn't know this, but there's a difference between hearing something and knowing it in your heart. We live on a planet that spins. Think about it. Our planet spins, and it spins pretty fast. We're on a planet that moves, and everything in it moves with it. Now, in today's world with technology and the social media stuff, things move at such a rapid pace, it's hard to get your head around, is true. But we have to accept that change is inevitable. It's going to come. My mother, you know, she prepped me for so many things in life, but she used to say, the only person who likes change is a baby with a wet nappy, right? And nappy, it's what they'd say in Ireland for an American diaper, right? And having a couple of grandkids, I can tell you, even some to my grandkids don't like getting their nappy changed, okay? The fact is, none of us love it. We especially don't like when change happens to us. So what I've kind of decided in my life, as often as I can, I'm going to happen to change. As often as I can, I'm going to make changes before changes happen to me. I'm going to make changes that I want to make as opposed to changes I'm forced to make. A change imposed, change opposed. There's kind of the convergence as you get a little older. And you can be stuck in your ways, angry, bitter, and frustrated. Why? Because a lot of changes happen to you and you resent it and fight it. Things aren't the way they used to be. Here's the deal. Things aren't going to be the way they used to be. You know, I'm not 28 years of age anymore. And sometimes my kids will say, what's wrong, dad? And all I was just getting up. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was sitting up, oh, you know, and the kids are like, hey, what's wrong? Everything okay, dad? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I was getting to my feet. How about that? You know, so what do we have to do for momentum? We have to adapt and innovate. And those are exciting words. And I feel like as a person, I'm always at my best when I'm growing. Right, you know, grow or die. We have to adapt. We have to innovate. You know, sometimes we need new routines to replace the old. I, I will say this. The work from home thing is fantastic, except you're working from home. Home is your ultimate homeostasis. Homeostasis. And home and constant. Home and steady. So when people go home, like right now, people don't want to leave home to come back to work for a lot of reasons. It's more comfortable. But I'm going to say this to you. 
A certain amount of uncomfortableness is a very, very helpful thing. One of my kids just is in the process of transferring colleges. And the reason she's doing it is she wants to be tested more. She wants to be challenged more. She's going far away. She's going to a cold climate. She's going where she knows nobody. And the culture is very, very different than being on the beach in San Diego, California. Now, so I went along with her, me and mom, and we sat down and we met all the people and whatever else. And everybody said, this is really hard. This place is really hard. This is really difficult. You're really going to struggle here. This is tough. This is tough. I'm like, oh, this will be interesting. And she was licking her chops. And it was kind of inspiring. It forced me into a little self-reflection of, geez, maybe I've gotten a little too comfortable on too many things. That's been an eye-opener. That positive change she's made has had actually a positive impact on our whole family. And it's led to a whole series of discussions to where I have other kids who are like, you know what? I need to step up to the plate and be more challenged than where I've been. It's been a little too comfortable. Working from home, eating from home, living from home, 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 homeostasis. You know, sometimes it's good to be in an environment where you got to be tested a little bit. You got to get dressed up. You got to interact with other people. You got to be challenged by other personalities. There's a lot of good in that. There's a lot of good in that, okay? George Bernard Shaw, one of my favorite writers, said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man, right? And of course, 100 years ago, everything was man-centric. So this is mankind, men and women, okay? It's the reasonable person adapts themselves to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable person. I think goals are unreasonable. I think it's good to set unreasonable goals. Now, you got to be rooted in your past, rooted in your consistency. Like, I can't write a goal. I want to be a ballet dancer. Well, why can't you be a ballet dancer? Give me a break, okay? Shaquille O'Neal can't be a jockey. You follow? And there's a train of thought in the world today, and a lot of people who write books and have bestsellers a lot of them have never done anything except write a book and have a bestseller. And that, that's good, but it doesn't make you an authority. That's why sometimes the advice has to be measured by people who've been there and done that. That's why when I bring a guest onto the show, I want somebody who's accomplished. I want somebody who's accomplished something so that when they speak, they're speaking from a position of experience. Nothing's too difficult if you don't have to do it. So I think the dynamic is the breadcrumbs of your past will reveal your future. When you really start working on a vision for yourself and directing your life where you want to go, you'll find out that a lot of what you've done in the past is leading to this point. And if it's not, I think you're on the wrong track. So you build out the goal and the vision based on where you've been, where you want to go. And the goal should be a little unreasonable, a little daunting, a little overwhelming. And so if you just stay there, you stay depressed. So then you go, I need to meet people who've done this. I need to meet accomplished people who've done other things that there's commonality with. I need to get coaching. I need to get help. I need to get thrown. And next thing you know, you're living a good life. So a little bit of unreasonableness, and it will create momentum for you. And then lastly, get busy living. You got to get busy living. The number one epidemic worldwide since March of 2020 is fear. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to take some heck for this. Because in the U.S. alone, you know, 600,000 people have died from COVID. I have friends and family members who've died from COVID. But there's a hell of a lot more people than 600,000 that have lived in fear. There's a hell of a lot more people today that are still living in fear. 
And now that things are starting to ease and states are starting to open up and countries are starting to open up, you're going to hear more and more and more about this. You're going to see more and more people. You're going to hear about the suicide rates. You're going to hear about the depression rates. There's an awful lot of people who've struggled. You know, in order to try to get the masses to do things, they really ramped it up. It also did this. It tripled and quadrupled the news services, readership and viewership, which means they were making a fortune. There are people who hated the previous president who made a fortune reporting on him. And now that he's gone out of the picture, their ratings and their revenues are down in the toilet. They have to find something to talk about. And so think about it. There's people who have economic and and promotional interests in keeping that stuff going. And what I'm going to say to you is that dynamic creates a lot of fear. It creates a lot of fear. And there's an awful lot of people with a lot of fear. Uh, We just held our first event in Arizona. We were in the Biltmore Hotel. The staff were fantastic. The people were fantastic. Our staff, the Feeding Company staff, were amazing. And we had everybody tested. We did the event in two ballrooms simultaneously that took a tremendous amount of technology, a tremendous amount of care, tremendous amount of effort, and a tremendous amount of goodwill on behalf of the audience. And it was phenomenal. It was probably our best event we ever did out of 2,500 events. Phenomenal experience. And people came away going, man, I really needed that. And there were people who came who were terrified to come. There were some people who stayed terrified the whole time, but felt a little better afterwards. But the majority of people that had some fear said it dissipated after a few days. And it was great to experience something that they needed to do. So they took a step of faith. They stepped out there and away you go. And again, at the end of the day, when someone is consumed with fear, the fear is a real emotion. You can't poo-poo somebody. You can't judge somebody. Yeah, get over it. It's a big, big deal. But I would say to you, if you're listening to this today, and in your heart of hearts, you know you're being more fearful and more cautious with everything you say and everything you do. You can always tell how fearful you are with the advice you give your kids. Instead of going for it, you're kind of being cautious. In Shawshank Redemption, and one of the abiding themes in Shawshank Redemption is fear. And this character, Andy Dufresne, he's full of hope. And his best friend, Red, is full of fear. And, and Andy's going, hey, I want to get out of here. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they go, hey, hope's a dangerous thing. And people who are consumed by fear are very unnerved by people who make changes. And I get this all the time. I've had this from family, friends, loved ones, business associates, my whole career. Because I'm not afraid to change. It doesn't mean I'm not fearful. But I'm not afraid to change. Faith is a huge piece for me. Patterns and resolve. You know, I'm very connected with what I've done in the past and how to set goals for the future. But I would say this, I unnerve people all the time who are close to me or do business with me because I'm not afraid to change. I'm not afraid to make a mistake. I'm not afraid to fail. I'm not going to do stupid things and I don't like failing, but the fact of the matter is I'm willing to go for it. And in the movie Shawshank Redemption, there's a critical scene where Andy, full of hope, red, full of fear, have a confrontation. And Andy says to him, get busy living or get busy dying. One of the reasons that movie resonates with so many people is because it's true. I've just attended a couple of funerals. I watched a number of them via broadcast in the last year. You know, the thing about it is, is that every one of us has an end date of our mortality. And I know we're supposed to be positive here today, but the truth of the matter, there's a day. as a date and a time and a place where I will end my journey, this journey. I'm hoping to prepare myself for the next journey. But the fact of the matter is, get busy living. Get busy living. 
Get busy living. Here we are. People are terrified, scared out of their frickin' britches. Get busy living. 99.1% of the people with COVID recovered. That means there's people who died. In this case, 600,000 people. Get busy living. Oh, I'm waiting for the government. Get busy living. I'm waiting for my family. Get busy living. I'm waiting for this circumstance and that circumstance. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. Be full of faith, full of hope, full of love, and pursue the journey. Pursue the journey. The last thing I want to talk about is how to celebrate the new normal. The first thing is to count your blessings. You know, there's silver linings behind everything. You know, and I want to say this. In the last 90 days, I've had as much bad news delivered to me as I've had in my whole life. But there's still silver linings. You know what it's forced me to do? To go back to journaling. So I'm not caught up in the emotion of the negative news or the bad circumstance or the bad turn. And it's forced me to go back to journaling to write out my blessings. And when I write out my blessings, I realized how blessed I am. And yeah, that's a setback. And yeah, I wish that didn't happen. And yeah, that's, I feel bad for that person. And yeah, this is a brutal situation. But you know what? I count my blessings. It is a big deal. You know, old Bing Crosby, you know, he used to sing, when you're tired and can't sleep, count your blessings and fall asleep. And you'll fall asleep counting your blessings. It was true 70 years ago, Bing. It's still true today. The next thing, how you celebrate the new normal is one bite at a time. You know, the old, how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? If you're going to set a goal and you're going to bust out of a slump and bust out of a funk, you want to do it one bite at a time, one piece at a time. And that's how you celebrate each bite. That's the key, right? If you're paying off debt, you've got $5,000, $10,000, $25,000 worth of debt. You pay off 1000 bucks. You celebrate. Now, you don't have a $1,000 celebration, but you acknowledge, oh, but I'm still four grand in debt. I'm still 24 grand in debt. I'm still 100 grand in debt. It doesn't matter. You reached a milestone, and momentum needs the fuel of celebration. You're 35 pounds overweight, and you lost five. Celebrate. Now, you don't celebrate with a cheesecake, but you celebrate yourself and the accomplishments, okay? Famous proverb says, before enlightenment, chop wood and carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. So many people want the big bang. Here we go. Everything changed. Still show up and do your thing. And then lastly, we want to celebrate the new normal. I I got a great example. He's a San Diego boy. I've met him. Phil Mickelson just won the PGA Championship. He is about three weeks short of his 51st birthday. And he beat all these young guys on a golf course that is so ill-suited for his game. And he has all the interviews and whatever else. He says, there's no reason why you can't achieve your goals at an older age. It just takes more effort. You know, Phil, he won the last PGA 16 years ago. He's 22 pounds lighter than he was then. He's more flexible. He's fitter. And he says this, it's a grind. He has to work hard. I actually heard him interview and I started doing it. He says, I I fast for 36 hours every week. So I'm starting sundown, 6 o'clock on Sunday night. I'm going to have my last meal. And then 6 o'clock a.m. On Tuesday morning, I just did it coming in here today. You know, he calls it a reset, a reset. So the fact of the matter is, there's a guy that's celebrating enormously. He's celebrating a new normal at almost 51 years old. He has a new normal for himself. No one else believed it. Everyone else said he had no chance. He was actually granted an exemption into the U.S. Open, which is right down the road from my house. It's three weeks from now. He won the PGA, so now he's exempt for the next five years. It's a new normal. And I drew so much inspiration from Phil Mickelson. By the way, Phil Mickelson has finished second in a major championship 16 times, I believe. He's won six. He's not afraid to fail. He takes things on. He's been very deliberate. And now he's winning 
and he's playing against these young guns who are 20 years his youth. And he says this, though. There's no reason why you can't achieve your goals at an old age. It just takes more effort. Are you willing to put up the effort? Are you willing to give it a shot? You know what? I'm older than Phil. It inspired me to go, you know what? I'm willing to put out a bit more effort. I'm willing to try a bit harder. Yes, and I want to admit to you, I've bitched and moaned because the same eating and the same exercise that used to get me in great shape doesn't anymore, especially following the pandemic. And I do the same routines, and I've had my little wine session. I'm working out with Rico four days a week, and I'm on the step mill, and I do my 20 minutes out of the step mill, and I'm in the sauna suit, and I'm staying big as a house. And normally Dermot goes, okay, now it's time for me to go. The fact of the matter is, I have to do the step mill and the sauna suit seven days a week, not three days a week. When I get a meal, I eat two-thirds of it, not the whole thing. Can't eat the way my... 23-year-old son does with the washboard stomach. It's more effort. It's more time. I need more coaching. I need more help. I need more positive information. I need more books. I need more podcasts than I ever did. But there's no reason you can't achieve your goals at an older age. And I'm going to say this. In the last 90 days, I've had as rough a spell as I've had in years. And I will also tell you that I've had more clarity than I've had in years. I've set better goals than I have in a decade. And I'm ready for my own run here to be my own Phil Mickelson in 2022 as I pursue some goals and some things to help more people and impact more lives. And I'm ready for the journey. So that's a little transparency on my end I want to share with all of you today. So Mr. Lally and Danny, they're back there in the control room. And I believe we have some questions. We have some callers on the line, Dahi. We do indeed. Brian, thanks for the message, as always today. Uh, the first call, Brent Bechtel, you're through to The Brian Buffini Show. Hello, Brent. Hey, Brian. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Good. What a great topic, homeostasis. And, you know, one of the things I heard you say clearly was that we need to adapt and move forward. And we got to have action and effort. And we got to be in it. Mm-hmm. And the question I also have is that you talked about a new reset. And is that what we're experiencing with the prices that we're having now? Mm-hmm. We just are in contract with a home that's 50000 over asking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just is a, a a real unique market, and it's almost like the last market where everything crashed, there was talk of it being a price reset at yeah. a new low price. Yeah. Are we in the same type of thing for a new high price? I think and so. And the second thing, yeah. the well, just a, that second thing was, you know, I've got now two transactions where clients have left the state and left everything behind in the house. Brent, I'm hearing this more and more and more. And a lot of people are utilizing this time to make big changes. People are moving further away than they ever have in all of American history. People are moving further away from their town, their city, their county, and their state. In many cases, moving cross-country where they don't know anybody or know very few people. And it's the ultimate homeostasis. And they're leaving everything and everyone behind and starting over. And it's, it's a unique deal. Here's what we know about any market. Markets are subject to change. So right now, there is a reset of prices going on. There's a reset of value going on. There's been a lot of money in the sidelines for a while. And and we're getting experience. Again, a little bit of what goes on in Europe where, man, you know, buying a first-time buyer house is out of sight for a lot of people. And so we're starting to experience that. Now, again, policy-wise, there's always negotiation there. Will prices only ever go up? My son, Adam, was out playing golf at La Costa here. I was just finishing up in the studio. And he said, Dad, hey, you want to join me and the boys for um, 
a few hours. And uh, it's a great. I played seven holes with them. And uh, one of the kids had made a fortune in cryptocurrency. And, of course, I've been getting lambasted with all this cryptocurrency talk left and right and people asking questions. And I said, hey, fair play to you. But I said, you just need to know you did well gambling. You didn't do well investing. Because crypto, you know, uh, Peter Schiff, who's one of my favorite economists, said, if a single Elon Musk tweet can help so much influence the price of Bitcoin, how can anyone consider it to be money? Elon Musk said, hey, this stuff is shaky. We're not going to do it with Tesla. And the value that Bitcoin went down 37%. That's not investing. That's gambling. So I'm with these kids. And all, these, all this guy's friends want to invest in Bitcoin now, now that he's pulled his money out. Because they think, hey, you know, get in, get quick, get gone. So what's happening is younger people are starting to get exposed to this. You have buyers who think, hey, I'm not going to get a house. And then you have other people who are going, real estate, I'm going to buy it. It's going to go up. I'm going to sell it in three years, which was the kid that did the Bitcoin said that. And I said, let me say this to you. Investing's a long-term gig. I said, does real estate only ever go up? Now, I had a graphic and I had Mr. Lally send it over to me because I've presented it many times about real estate and the dips in prices over the years. But over the long haul, it's going up. And over the long haul, real estate goes up. You hold real estate long enough, it goes up. But right now, there's a reset of the market. There's a reset of the economy. It's when politicians get the most active because they want to change a lot of things they've been waiting to change for a long time. But we are in the most need-to-be-adaptive market I've ever seen. It doesn't make sense except the amount of capital that's available. And there's capital available and capital is cheap. People want to reallocate assets out of the stock market into real property. This is going to go on for a while. And the more inflation, the more people are going to clamor for real estate. So it is bonkers. I know it's not a fun market, especially when you're a very integrous agent. You have to let people know that real estate's a long-term investment. And that, no matter what, is the advice. If someone wants to buy and turn around and, you know, I'm just going to make a buck in a year. I mean, they'll probably be okay. They probably do all right. But the fact of the matter is, uh, it doesn't mean that it's the right decision. So thanks for the question, Brent. Yeah, Dave. Thanks, Brian. Sam Musa in Ontario, Canada. Yep. Sam, you have a question on the market also. Thanks for joining the show. You're on with Brian. Hello, Sam. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Sorry, I haven't had a chance to see you and the folks up <laughs> in Canada in a long, long time. But I know you guys are hanging in there. We are. We miss you guys, that's for sure. Likewise. We were supposed to be at peak and we couldn't make that. But anyways, we'll yep. hope to see you guys this year, maybe next year. For sure. Uh, a couple questions. Um, markets in Canada, yeah, I guess you're seeing very similar to what uh, you're seeing out there? Yeah, very similar trends. I mean, there's some provincial differences, right? So you have some provinces in Canada that are very dependent on oil and natural gas and things like that. And that market's been tweaked a little bit here lately. But, you know... Where you are, I mean, right? It's hard to keep them on the shelf. I would say, you know, it's very similar. We have low inventory. Lumber prices are high in Canada, even though that's where a lot of it's coming from. The fact of the matter is, in the COVID, post-COVID world, people are coming out from even in, and again, you guys have had more serious lockdowns than most places. I'd say Ireland is probably more restrictive, so I have a good feel for it. And when I talk to my folks on the day-to-day basis and family and friends back there, but as the thing starts to open up, again, you're going to see this. People are going to act weird. They're already acting weird. But real estate continues to be strong. There continues to be limited supply, and it's still a hedge against inflation. And because of that, with fixed rates, 
they're going to keep buying real estate and buying a lot of it, you know? Yes. And I guess in inflation, uh, what's your take on inflation here in Canada going forward in the next, uh, you know, year or so? I've been saying for a while that by the end of 2023, I think we'll see some rate changes. I don't think it's going to go off to the races uh, because of some of the decisions they make. Like, I don't know when we're going to have a high interest rate environment again. Maybe maybe not for 10 or 20 years, Yeah. but it will be a little bit higher. Inflation is already here. Remember, typically a government reports a recession a year after it's happened. Okay. Because the economists are always looking back. There's inflation now. Yeah. Just fact of life. To be candid with you, from the numbers I've seen, we had the highest inflation in the US and Canada last month than we've had in 40 years. So the inflation is here. It's here to stay for a while. Money is flooding the system. I always feel bad about this because it's always those who are most exposed and those who have the least amount of asset get hurt the most. There's going to be a flocking to asset and the asset that is the best in class. If you think about it, Dogecoin or real estate, a stock market that may be having capital gains losses or capital gains rates double or real estate. What do you think? A fixed asset with a fixed price is the single greatest hedge against inflation you can have. So I just don't see real estate going anywhere for a while. I'll be honest with you. I think the prices are going to keep going up. What I am seeing is, and what I've, again, we're boots on the ground and one out of every seven homes in the U.S., one out of every eight in Canada happens through our coaching program and our, our membership as a large. So we get a lot of real-time data. And what we're hearing is that entry-level homes are starting to get softer. And, you know, there's first-time buyers are getting discouraged. The lack of inventory has been hurting. And so typically what happens is it starts the hottest at entry-level. And the last thing to heat up is high-end. What's going on, for example, in San Diego, high-end real estate still flying off the shelves. And there's starting to be a mitigation at the entry-level. So there is more inventory coming. So I think 2022 is going to be a great year. That's I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I think we're going to have a slower growing prices, still very low interest rates, and a lot of cash in the system. I think 2022 will be a good year. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Sam. Well, that's to be part of your organization. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brian. Uh, next up on line three, we have Courtney in Seattle. Hello, Courtney. Hi there. Thanks, Brian, for all this great information. How are we doing? Great. So with this market being so hot and, and just kind of wild right now, how do we keep our clients upbeat and focused? The key is constant, small, encouraging interactions. And the first person who needs to be encouraged is you. Like I talk to agents, I go, when an agent tells me they think there's a bubble, well, what in the hell? How are they supposed to look in their client's eye and tell them to move forward and buy a house? Now, I'm not saying that people should be Pollyanna-ish, but the facts are not there to reflect that. It's just a person's fear. And they hear news stories and this and that and Mark Cuban and CNBC and uh, this is what it says. And therefore, if they say it, it must be right, even though that's not connected to what's on the ground. So I think you just need to say, you know, this too shall pass a powerful thing. There will be a slight easing of inventory. Like we talked about older people are going to start putting their homes on the market because of vaccinations, right? Beverly just flew back to see her parents in Georgia. Her parents are in their 80s. They, they haven't had anyone come inside their home in a year. My parents are in Ireland. They're, they're, my mom's 90. Okay, I can't go home and see them. I go home to Ireland. I have to sit in a hotel room for two weeks. And then when I come back, I have to do something similar. So it's bizarre. So older people were terrified to have anyone in their house. They're going to start putting it on the market. Construction is going to start hitting in the fall. The new construction, that's already happening, right? So that'll ease things up a little bit. Uh, and I think we'll see some encouraging signs. It won't be a flood, but it'll probably be you know, 10, 15% increase. 
That'll that'll help. But I'd say little and often, little and often, check in. How you doing? Just so you know, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. The perfect house is out there for you. We're going to keep fighting. I'm in your corner. We will persist until we succeed. And that's all they need to hear. And, and you never stop. You never stop until you get them into that house. Excellent. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks for checking in. Great. Mr. David, time for one more, I think. Okay. I have one more on the line for you from Baltimore, Gina. And then I do have a little follow-up uh, social media question that came through that I, I think they could definitely do with your advice on it. So Gina in Baltimore, welcome to the show. Yes, Gina. How are you? Good, good. We see a uh, reset coming this direction here, and now it's starting to affect buyer's commission that are usually covered by the um, seller's commission. It's offset, com- you know, compensation. We're starting to mm-hmm. see a reset in that direction. I'm wondering how yeah. that affects, how that's going to affect the bottom line for the new buyer, the uh, older yeah. buyer. So we're wiping away that compensation and just charging less. What is your position on that? Look, when markets get goofy, things get tested. That's the fact of the matter. And there's no doubt that the perceived value of an agent is at its highest during a tough market. So when the market's raging hot and somebody sells a property for 10% over list price with 20 offers in 50 hours, the easy thing to say is, well, the agent didn't do very much. And then as sellers going, hey, I I don't want any inspections now. I don't want any contingencies now. Uh, I'm not going to do anything to the house now. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to pay the realtor fee, things like that. So what happens is these things all happen during an overflexed market. And this is as overflexed as we've ever seen. So what you have to do, we talked about it today, you have to adapt. You have to kind of dance with it and you want to adapt. And what do we know? We know the market will change back again. And believe it or not, there'll be a time in our future where real estate takes a while to sell. It'll be longer on the market and things like that. I mean, those times are coming. We were the industry that got hammered during the Great Recession. And now during the reset of the market, we're doing well. But they're going to squeeze commissions, they're going to squeeze prices, going to squeeze terms. And with prices escalating at the rate they are, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've paid 6% commission on every transaction I've ever done in my life. I have a property I'm about to list that is mega, mega millions. There's no way I'm going to pay 6%. It's just not. And now having said that, the realtors involved are going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars each on both sides of the transaction. And I'm the guy who's championed more realtors to charge their fee than anybody on the planet. But the escalation of the price and the value of the properties have escalated to such a degree that discounted percentages are still bigger than the percentages with the old value of the homes. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And at some point in time, like if some, if you're selling a $100 million property, you're not getting 6% to make a $6 million commission. That's just not translating. So what happens is we get stuck, and I've been the champion of this, and there's probably people screaming at their social media or phones because I've championed this for 25 years. But let me say this. I'm always in tune with the consumer. And I do believe that you should charge. I do believe that you get what you pay for. I do believe that you have to differentiate yourself so you can ask for a professional fee. But in markets where the prices have gone up like this, percentage-wise, the commissions have gotten wild for the amount of labor, time, and effort and expertise involved. Charge your fee, do your thing, but understand when the market gets goofy, sellers are in the, in the ultimate power position. They're going to try to flex all power. But that deal changes. And eventually... We'll swing back. There will be a time in our future where it's a buyer's market again, and sellers will be begging you, and sellers will pay 
7% fees to sell their house. That day's coming. I don't know when, but it'll be here. It'll be here. Just stay tuned. Do the best you can. The other side, then, I'm in, I'm in coaching. I'm practicing coaching. Are you going to have dialogue so that we can approach our buyer? Because your mindset has always been, I'm not paying commission. I'm not paying for your commission to drive me around, you know, 400 days to compete. Will we have dialogue to approach them? Because this is a cold switch. I mean, it's a one day, one day on, one day off. And how do we approach yeah. them and explain this to them? So, like you said. We actually have some dialogues right now. A few more are going to be released here. We know what's going on. So we're working on some things with the coaching department as we speak. And and here's the other part is that not every transaction is like that, right? So don't build your whole business on, man, I'm dealing with this one situation and here's what's happened. The people get away with stuff like that for a while. I've seen that before, but it always bounces back. So we will equip you. We'll help you. You'll be okay. But remember, like we talked about with the homeostasis, we're going to have to adapt. Uh, this too shall pass, especially at the entry level. I can tell you, as of the time of this recording, entry-level properties are starting to cool off, which is good. Now, there's still huge demand, but it's starting to cool off a little bit. When and things cool off a little bit, it takes the frenzy out of the market, and it takes the uh, unreasonableness away. But it's, it's going to be tough for a while. Just hang in there. We'll coach you up. we got the answers for you. Great stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us. Great question. All right, David, you said you had something from Scotial Speedia. Yes, indeed. Well, it's a kind of a combination of a lot of questions that were coming in. It's Kathy Herron-Brown. She's a long-time uh, one-to-one member. Cape May, New Jersey. Uh, hi to you, Kathy. Thanks for reaching out. I'm in your coaching program a uh, long time. I'm an agent, 17 years, selling about 34 homes per year with just a transaction coordinator. Uh, but she's moved on, so I'm flying solo. This year, I have 13 closed and 12 pending already. My coach, Bev, insists that I start building out my team. Where do I even start when I'm in the thick of it right now? I don't even have time to train. I'm referring out buyer leads with a few exceptions and focusing on listings. Thanks in advance. Well, here you go in advance, Kathy. As of July 1st, Buffini Company is releasing its team coaching program. We've been coaching teams for years. Uh, 40% of our members are have a team. Most of them didn't have a team when we met them. But there's a difference being coached by a coach and you have a team and being in the team coaching program. It's a completely different setup. And it is designed to take somebody from soup to nuts who's never had a team all the way up to people who have mega groups that are in the 40s and 50s. I've been asked to do this for years. We wouldn't release team coaching until we had a full suite of training. So it's just the most comprehensive thing we've ever done. So. The coaching is different. The process is different. Coach Bev is right to give you that advice. I have modules that I've developed in training, which are proprietary just to the coaching program, so they'll never see them, uh, where people can't just buy the training program because it's embedded in the coaching. And it's, you know, having the right model, how to hand off a lead, what the right economic structure is, leadership, delegation, training, every aspect of it's done, and it's plug and play for you. So, Kathy, when you want to train a new agent and you bring somebody in, we have it for them. We're really going to carry the load for you. Our CRM we've adapted now for teams. Uh, Heritage, is, our profile's been adapted for teams. We have a monthly broadcast going on. We just brought a lady on to our organization named Amy Somerville. And Amy was uh, executive vice president at REMAX for 17 years and really headed up many of their programs, training, coaching, especially in the areas of teams. And she's going to host what we call the Seven Figure Club Live. So out of our TV studio, there'll be a broadcast every month with you know, they might have a panel of the best assistants and the best practices and the best practices for small, medium, and large teams. So we have the most comprehensive offering. We talked about it at Peak Experience. 
And of course, um, people jumped on it left, right, and center. But July 1st, Talk to Bev, the most comprehensive program built in the industry for teams is being released. It's phenomenal. It's the biggest upgrade we've made to coaching in 20 years. It's phenomenal. So go check that out. I know a lot of people are in that spot now. And as many people are are struggling with having a team than not having a team. So it's there. It's pretty relevant. It's pretty timely. So I'm glad David got that into you. Glad you guys joined me today. We covered homeostasis. We covered momentum. And we talked about celebrating the new normal and how to get after it. I hope this has been helpful to you. It's helpful for me. I can tell you, I always know I'm onto a winner with the content when the content is actually showing up in my own life. I want you to know this. It is a good life. And it's a good life. I get a chance to do a lot of good things. I'm blessed to serve people like you guys. I consider it a privilege. I am blessed to have a couple of hundred staff people. We'll be coming back into the premises here. And we've just got great people to serve. So it's a blessing. I love doing this stuff. I hope it blesses you. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm going to have my mom finish the little Irish blessing. Take care. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.